your life this Christmas, whether um, life is just grand for you right now or maybe you're going through a difficult time this Christmas, this Christmas story comes to us no matter what we're going through, no matter what season we're in. I want you to turn, if you've got your Bibles, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Normally I use from a contemporary version, but at Christmas time we always read it from the King James. So I'm going to actually read it from the King James this morning, uh, just in honor of God's Word, if you wouldn't mind standing one more time. Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people." For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We ask, God, that you would bring it home to each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. All right, you may be seated. I just want to say that you all are my Christmas gift this year. It's been such a wonderful a uh, year at uh, Life Church, getting to know each and every one of you. Wasn't that video great of some of the new folks? And that's just a smattering of some of the new families. But uh, let's just thank God right now for all the new folks that are here this year. We're thankful for that. And we're looking forward to a great 2013. We've got some folks traveling today. The Christmas falls at kind of a weird time this year by being in the middle of a week. So you've got people traveling before and after the season. But we're so glad that you're here today. We've been on this series called Counterfeit Christmas, and today we want to deal with some of the real people of Christmas, uh, real people versus posers is what, I, what I'm calling this today. You know, uh, sometimes we, sometimes uh, at Christmas time we try to glorify the people in the Christmas story, but today I want you to know, and we're going to learn through this message today, that they were very real people. I'm going to call this message today The Right Place at the right time, the right place at the right time. First of all, the first thing that we read in the story is that it was the right time for Jesus to be born. The Bible said that all the world went to be taxed. The Roman Empire was the mouthpiece that would carry the news of Jesus. Under Augustus, it had grown further and spread further than it had ever spread before so that they, of the known world at that time, uh, were said to be uh, the controllers of the world. At this time, when, when all the world was called to be taxed, 
uh, Jesus was born. There had been a prophecy in Daniel about four kingdoms that would come on the next slide. And these kingdoms uh, would, uh, would be followed by a kingdom that would put all of these kingdoms, uh, would, would, would be a stone that would come down the mountain and dash this statue and it would be a kingdom that would never end. And uh, the first was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, uh, uh, the chest of arms and silver in this vision of Daniel. Then there was the kingdom of ancient Greece. There was the kingdom of iron of ancient Rome and the feet, uh, the kingdom of restored Rome. But finally, the rock that comes down the mountain while this Roman Empire was in control comes. It was the right time for Jesus to be born. Galatians says when the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was the right time. But not only was the right time, it was the right place. Bethlehem means the house of bread. It was prophesied that the Messiah, the bread sent from heaven to feed the souls of mankind, would be a descendant of David. You, Bethlehem, Micah said, Ephrathah, though you are the smallest among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem was the right place for Jesus to be born. You know, it just so happened that that Mary and Joseph were called to go to Bethlehem to be registered. Otherwise, they would have been in the wrong place for Jesus to be born. But all of the conditions of the world, and really all of the world, had to be troubled so that Mary and Joseph could be in the right place at the right time. God delights, I believe, in doing amazing things in unlikely places. He likes to take a little two-horse town like Bethlehem and do something great in it. God loves to, to, to do something in places that other people would despise and look down on. But God says, I'm going to do something great in you. I say that this morning because we're here in Life Church. We're a fledgling uh, plant. We're a relaunch. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful this Christmas if God would look down on what we're doing here and do something great and do something dynamic and begin something wonderful? And that's what I'm believing for, Life Church. Amen. God delights in doing that. Now, this story is full of contrast. This is what I want to get to this morning. Uh, first of all, we, we saw that Augustus, he's the king of the world. The contrast is between the king of the world and the king of the universe. The king of the world makes a decree that all the world should be taxed. He's putting the world in bondage. Little does he know that there's a baby in that manger who's the king of the universe who's come to set everybody free. While the king of the world is trying to uh, uh, bind the world, Jesus is come to set people free. Linda Randolph put on Facebook a quote from C.S. Lewis uh, when uh, uh, he writes, In our world, too, a stable once had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. So there's the contrast between the king of the world and the king of the universe. Another contrast is that eternity breaks into real time. Um, Wes Cornott sent me an uh, excerpt from Robbie Zacharias's Christmas story. And, he, and Robbie says, I think it's extraordinary in Isaiah 9-6, where it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Let us be sure of what is being said. The son is not born. The son eternally existed and is given. The child is born and entered our time. He who dwelt in the realm of eternity entered time. He understands our times. And so it is that eternity breaks into time to give us a glimpse of what always was and is and will be. God in that divine moment revealed himself 
as he had never been revealed before through his son. That is what the Christmas message is all about. If you want to know what eternity looks like, if you want to know, know what God looks like, he sent us Jesus to see that. Amen? But another contrast that we see in the story is we have angels singing and, and, and they're singing to shepherds. So the celestial, the heavenly meets the terrestrial. Heaven and earth meet in this story. How many know the song, the worship song we do called, Oh, How He Loves? We've done it a few times. Oh, How He Loves Us So. I don't know if you know, but there's, there's kind of a controversy about the lyrics of that song. Uh, the, the, the original writer of the song, uh, a guy named John Mark uh, McMillan, he wrote a lyric uh, in the song that said, We are his portion and he is our prize, drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Now here's the next line that, that uh, is somewhat controversial. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. And in fact, it's so, it's, I'm just going to confess this morning, I've changed the words when we sang it, okay? Um, who's the other guy that sings it? Um, yeah, David Crowder changed the words to the song, and he changed it to an unforeseen kiss. And he asked John Martin, and Chris is having a fit on the front row. He thinks it needs to be big, sloppy, wet kiss. And this morning, I'm going to agree with you, Chris. All right. So, so, so I'm going to make the case for the big, sloppy, wet kiss. All right. So, so he writes that it's a big, and, and, and David Crowder says, hey, you know, I, I like the words big, sloppy, wet kiss, but I don't think my listeners, I think I'll get more listeners if we change it. And he, uh, he gave him permission to change it. But then he, he wrote a blog about it. And, and, and here's what John Mark says in his blog about this lyric. The idea behind the lyric is that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth converge in a way that is both beautiful and awkwardly messy. Think about the birth of a child or even the death of Jesus himself. These miracles are both incredibly beautiful and incredibly sloppy. Why does the church, and here's what he says, why does the church have such a problem with things being sloppy? Do we really think we're fooling anyone on Sunday morning, especially God? Are we going to offend God? I mean, he's, now this is what he says, he's seen us naked in the shower all week and he knows our worst thoughts. Now come on. And he still thinks we're awesome. Yeah. Now, if we, if we took all the energy we spent faking and used that energy to enjoy the Lord instead, that could be revolutionary. So that happens on Christmas. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. An angel meeting a shepherd? Come on. It's okay, Judy. Sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> You know, we try, to, we try to dignify these characters and dress them up and make them seem like they're, 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 they're something more. But the truth about the shepherds is that they were poor working class people. In fact, the truth about the shepherds is this, that religious people didn't think much of shepherds. You know why? Because shepherds had to miss all the religious holidays. They had to work while everyone else was going to church. 
Think about what God does when he sends an angel to the people who can't be at the religious festivals. It's like God showing up to the 7-Eleven while everyone else is at church. It's like God going to the night watchman, the guys that can't go to church because they got to keep the world going while you're in church in the morning. God comes to them. <laughs> Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. The other contrast is that the Savior is born. Listen to this, people. Listen to this. The Savior is born to real people. Real people. Go to, go to the next slide, if you would, uh, because this is, the, this is the picture we often get of what we call the Holy Family, right? This is the Holy Family. This is a picture of the Holy Family. Holy Joseph, Holy Mary, Holy Jesus, and if you put the animals in, holy cow. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's amazing. But, yeah, it's, 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 I want to ask a question this morning. Was the Holy Family holy? I mean, no irreverence by this. Was the Holy Family, is Joseph holy? Is Joseph somehow Chosen, Holy Joe, Holy Joe. Is Holy Joseph so holy that God waited for him to send the Savior to the world? There was a song that was written some time back. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. How many have heard that song? Just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home. I'm going to ask that question about Joseph this morning. What if Joseph was one of us? What if Joseph was a slob like one of us? Just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home. Uh, no, no disrespect to Joseph. Everything I know about Joseph happens to be good. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He was a devout man. That doesn't set him aside as the only righteous man in the Bible. There are other people that are mentioned as righteous. He's mentioned as a, he's a good guy. When he finds out his wife's pregnant, he, he does something that I think is pretty merciful to her. He wants to, he wants to divorce her because engagement was so strong in those days that you had to actually get a divorce. Um, if you were engaged, and he wants to divorce her because she's pregnant, because obviously it wasn't him. And uh, but but the Bible says the nice thing about Joe. He says, but he wanted to do it privately. He, he didn't want to embarrass Mary. He, he just wanted to do it discreetly. He, he's a good guy. We know he's a carpenter. You know what? That's all we got. That's all I got on Joe. The Gospel of Mark doesn't even mention the poor guy. In the manger scene, we put him near the back. You know, he's kind of in the back wall of the barn. You don't know what to do with Joseph. He's just kind of up there. I want to ask a question this morning. If you want to know something about Joseph, I would suggest maybe you don't just consult what the Scripture says about it because there's not much in the Scripture. But you might want to look in the mirror. Because when I think of Joseph, I think he's, I think he's more like one of us. Could it be that God came to one of us? Now, you know, I started with Joseph because it gets, as you move through the Holy Family, it gets, it gets more and more holy. Because <laughs> now you got Holy Mary, right? 
and and Mary's cool. I mean, we know a lot of good stuff about Mary. You know, first of all, that she that she was willing to do it. That she said, "Be it unto me according to your word." You know, Mary does that. But but could I could I be so bold on Christmas morning? When, when, when Mary is being celebrated as the Queen of Heaven, could I be so bold this morning to suggest and ask a dangerous question this morning? What if Mary was one of us? What if Mary was more a slob like one of us? What if she was a stranger on the bus trying to make her way home? In fact, if we're honest about Mary, I know some things about Mary that remind me about a lot of people I know. There's a phenomenon people talk about today called helicopter parents. Helicopter parents are parents that hover over you and swoop down and rescue you every time they think that you need rescuing. They're they're overbearing parents. We have some indication that Mary may have been a helicopter parent. Jesus is off doing God's business, and Mary and the brothers come to rescue Jesus and take him home. You remember what Jesus says. Jesus says, wait a minute, Mom. Wait a minute, brothers. Look around me. These are my brothers, my sisters, and my mothers. I'm not meaning any disrespect on Mary. What I'm saying this morning is we are so... We are so, we have such a difficult time with the Christmas story that God could actually come down in the middle of some cow poop in the middle of where we live. We have such a hard time with that that we have to sort of gussy up the story. You know what I'm saying this morning? And so we've, 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 we've invented some things about Mary. We still, now we talk about the Immaculate Conception of Mary. The Immaculate Conception of Mary does not mean that Jesus was born as, as a virgin because he was. The Scripture clearly says he was. But the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception says that Mary herself was immaculately conceived and lived a sinless life. I mean, she must have. Otherwise, how could God have come to her? So we have the Immaculate Conception of Mary, and then we have the Assumption of Mary. You know the Assumption of Mary? The Assumption of Mary is the doctrine that teaches that when Mary died, her body, soul, and spirit, like Enoch, just went up to be with God. She skipped purgatory. She went straight to heaven. She's now the Queen of Heaven. She had to be something like that, because otherwise, how could God have come to her? What if Mary... What if Mary was like, and, and then, you know, and then, and then another doctrine about Mary is the perpetual virginity of Mary. You know what that means? The perpetual virginity of Mary means that not only was she a virgin when she had Jesus, but she never had sex because everybody knows sex is bad. Amen. That's your message for the day, kids. Thank you. Could God come to somebody that had sex? Sorry, guys. This is what you came to hear on Christmas morning, isn't it? You heard the bells on Christmas Day. All right. Could God come to people that do stuff like that? What if Mary was one of us? You know, I was, I was just overwhelmed with the story this week again. 
no disrespect to Mary. I, I think Mary's really cool. I had a pastor one time say something that I've never forgotten. He said this. God didn't choose Mary because Mary was special. But Mary was special because God chose her. God didn't didn't choose Mary because of all of the other girls that had ever lived. We had to wait 4,000 years for a girl that didn't cheat when she was playing tag with the kids. No, that's not it. What What if Mary was like, one of us. Hmm. Hmm. So is, is the Holy Family holy? If you read my little teaser on Facebook, I asked this question and my answer was this. It's complicated. They are and they aren't. <laughs> They're not holy because of some of their own goodness that made them somehow being deserving of God Himself to come and put Himself right in the middle of that family. But they are holy because the refracted light off of that baby in Bethlehem reverberates off of Mary and Joseph and they stand holy today because of the little one that that, that lays in their arms because he is holy. Amen. Is this too much this morning? Can can we be this real at Christmas time? Do Do we need to have halos over Go to the next slide. I like this. I like this picture because the light's clearly on one and only one, and it's on Jesus in the manger. He it is that makes us holy. But 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 the most amazing the most amazing contrast is the contrast that happens inside of the manger itself. Because, because in that manger we have a baby boy. We have a baby boy. And so I want to ask some questions about this baby boy. Is this baby boy 50% man and 50% God? I, I contend to you this morning that this baby was 100% man. Could it be that, that, that Jesus knew what it was like when a girl walked by to have adrenaline in his body kick up because he thought that she was pretty? Is that possible this morning to think about? That Jesus was a real man, that Jesus was a real boy, that Jesus lived a real human life. Possible that what if Jesus was confronted at school by bullies? Was he, was he tempted to fight back? Is it possible that Jesus lived that real of a life? What if Jesus, young single people, what if Jesus knew what it was like to cry in his room at night because he was lonely? Can you deal with that real 
of a Jesus today? What if God was one of us? Was he fully man? Yes, he was fully man. But the Bible says something, and this is so mysterious that we had to invent a word for it. It's called the incarnation. He's not only 100% human, he's 100% God. That when Mary kissed that little baby, she kissed the face of God. That Jesus was not just not just 100% human, not 50-50, all human, all God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, the Scripture says, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That in Jesus we have one who is fully human and fully God. There's some scriptures that deal with the incarnation. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might be rich. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The Greek word is carne. He was God incarnate. Carnate literally in many languages means meat. It's, it's, it's flesh. Uh, when, when you go to the Mexican restaurant, they're going to ask you if you want pollo or carne. Do you want chicken or do you want beef? Do you want meat? Do you want flesh? The word became flesh. Let me ask you something. When you ask, where's the beef this morning? I would tell you the beef is in the manger. Amen. That's where the beef is this morning. The word became flesh. God incarnate. Amen. Amen. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Mighty God. Unto, unto us a child is born, but his name will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't put up the last slides yet. I want to save that for a second, but I'm going to ask the praise team if you'd come. The journey, the journey from the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about a hundred mile walk. Imagine Mary, she's nine months pregnant, and she is she is walking her and Joseph to Bethlehem. Most scholars think it took them a week to get there. About a week of walking to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I had the privilege, not during this year, but last year of going to Bethlehem. I, was, I got to be there. And I would say that not only was it a difficult journey then, but it's a difficult journey now because... Bethlehem today is a Palestinian um, settlement within, within Israel. And so in order to get to Bethlehem, you have to go through a checkpoint. And there's armed guards with M16s 
before you can get to the manger. We had a Palestinian Christian guide and he was able to get us through so that we were able to get to the, um, the Church of the Nativity. Now when you go to Jerusalem and when you go to Israel, there's a lot of sites in Israel that are considered not very authentic. For instance, I went to the upper room. The upper room was built in like 1500. <laughs> and they tell you it's the upper room where the disciples, you know, the Holy Spirit fell. And you go down to the basement of the upper room and there's the tomb of David. And I'm like, what a coincidence that the upper room and the tomb of David are in the same building. A lot of touristy stuff happens there. But, but one of the sites that's considered the most authentic is Bethlehem. And the reason it's considered very authentic is because very shortly after the life of Jesus, people started going to this very spot, very spot. This is where he was born. When he started making an impact, they went there. And so and so, as early as 300 years, 300 AD, a church was built over the spot, the Church of the Nativity. When we went to the church, there's a they opened the floor and let you see down because the church that was built in 300 has burned down, but a church that was built later was built on top of it. But they let you see the floor of the church that was there in 300 A.D., just not long after Jesus was born. So we're, we're in this auditorium, and here's the way it works when you get to the Church of the Nativity. No one church owns the Church of the Nativity. There's a Catholic congregation there's Greek Orthodox and there's an Armenian uh, congregation. All of them share the Church of the Nativity. I think that's wonderful because it's like nobody owns it. it. Belongs to all of us. But there's a sense of anticipation and excitement when you go there because everybody wants to see the spot, you know? And, and they build it up that down in the basement, down in the basement is the spot that we believe that Jesus was born there's a little 14-point 14, uh, 14 star with a circle in the middle of it, and right in the middle of that circle is where they believe he's born. They've got it down so specific that they'll say, that's where he was born, and this is where Mary laid him in the manger. They'll show you the other spot. So there's all this anticipation around it, and, and Greek Orthodox people are kissing icons. They're, they're just kissing pictures of, of the baby, and they're so excited about going down there and and, and, you know, as a, as a Christian, my heart is just just bursting as, as I'm getting in the line thinking about going to be where this... Where God came to us in real time, in a real place. And while we're waiting there in this, in this auditorium... I happened to notice that there was a beam of light coming down from the, the top window and there was just making a circle. In the, in the, it was making a circle. And I walked over to that circle and I said, please take my picture here if, if you go to the next slide. This is the Church of the Nativity and we're standing there and lights coming down in a beam and all of us, all of us took our turns standing under the circle this is just proof that I am the anointed one who has come to Knoxville
No, actually in that beam of light, I saw... I saw an invitation that light has come into the world and we can choose to step into it. That God shined his light and all of us have the opportunity to to gaze at it and walk away. Or we in our flesh, our shepherdy our shepherdy flesh are invited to walk to Bethlehem to stand in his light and become part of the holy family not holy on our own righteousness Would the Apostle Paul say our own righteousness is as filthy rags? But we stand in the light of the manger. And you know what I say now? From from now on, I I say this to people, you know, I'm not holy, but, but you know what? I'm with him. I'm with him. And his light has shined on me. And he did for me what I could not do for myself. Not because I had earned it, not because I was good enough for it, but because God in his grace and his mercy came to average Joe. Average Joe. Not enough to to merit a paragraph. We don't even know what happened to the guy. By the time that Jesus begins his ministry, most people think he's dead because he's no longer there. Last time we see Joseph, he's when Jesus is 12 years old. But God came to average Joe. I just came this morning just to tell you some really, I got some really good news for you. Hey, I got some really good news for you this morning. Don't miss it. God loved you so much that he came to you. And you, and even you. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and pray right now. Then we're going to sing, Oh, How He Loves Us So. And Chris and Noah are going to be so excited because we're going to sing a big, sloppy, wet kiss when we get to that part. But I'm going to invite us to bow our heads right now. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to, I want to invite you this morning and I want to say that the light is shining this morning. The good news is like light that shines and invites us to receive the gift of God this morning. And this morning, if you'd like to receive the gift of God, if you'd like to receive salvation, if you'd like to say, not because I'm worthy, Lord, but, but because I believe that you are the Son of God that came into the world. If you believe that this morning and would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your life can be completely changed this morning, December 22nd, 2013. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand across this building and say, that's me, Pastor. I want to receive Christ. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you right now, Lord, for those, Lord, who have made new, fresh commitments today, Lord, to walk with you, God, and to say, I receive your free gift, not because I'm good enough, God, but because this is not the story of the Holy Family. This is the story of a holy God who came into our unholy world. And we receive you this morning as our Lord and Savior. We accept the free gift of salvation. We, we confess that we are sinners, Lord, that you were born, that you died for us on a cross, and that you rose again. And we give you our lives today, and we walk in your light. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Could we give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it. Why don't we stand?